And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So holy shift. We got to shift our mentality about our company's culture and the way we're going to shape that both now and in the future. This is something you should always be looking at as a leader, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as a member of any company or organization. We're going to talk all about that and more today in an episode that is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. Now, you hear me yelling things like, holy shift. It's because today's guest is the author of Holy Shift, moving your company forward to the future of work. And his name is Dan Michelson. He's also the founder and CEO at InCommon. Go to InCommon.com. There's a link for that and a link for Fullscale.io in the show notes. Scroll down and give those a click. Straight out of Chicago, Illinois. Dan, welcome to Startup Hustle. Well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you know, let's let's get the conversation started with a little bit more about your backstory and what, what brought you to us here today on Startup Hustle. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I mean, thematically, I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts. The whole theme, if you want to put it down, put it into a blender, take out one word, it would be grow, right? So how do you really help a company grow? And, you know, it turns out that the, the simple hack for that is to help people grow, you know? So if they're part of something and they're growing, your company will grow. It's a, not a great short-term strategy because it takes, takes some time and investment, but it's the best long-term scale strategy you could possibly have. So my whole career, my whole background is building and scaling companies using that kind of approach, um, building world-class company cultures where people love to work and where companies love to work with us, right? So just with the company that you run, that relationship with those customers is huge, right? But you're not going to have that unless people are treated well and they feel like they're part of a community and part of your company. So uh, my career, most of it, <laughs> 30 plus years in healthcare. So last 20 years in technology, I uh, was with a company. It was essentially a restart, Matt. It was, um, if you go to your doctor's office and they pull out a computer, an electronic health record, that was me. Um, so I was part of the group of people who mainstreamed that in the country. We grew a company from 50 people to 5,000 people. It was a very wild ride <laughs> then for the last 10 years. Uh, at that company, I was actually the chief marketing officer, chief strategy officer. It was a pulp company called Allscripts. For the last 10 years, I uh, did another restart. Uh, so this was a private equity-backed company. It was 15 years old with about 50 people. Uh, we restarted the company, uh, grew it into one of the more prominent companies in healthcare. So half of U.S. healthcare now runs on a company called Strata for everything they do on the financial side of healthcare. 
Uh, the two notes of both of those companies, so both grew significantly, uh, one to over a billion dollars in revenue, one to over a billion dollars in value. Um, the, the tie that binds those two things together uh, was, once again, culture, right? That was the centerpiece of, uh, of growing and scaling and building those companies. Not always perfect, um, but, you know, the nice thing is, is when you don't get it right, if you have relationships, you can get through to tomorrow, as you probably know, uh, with the kind of work you're doing. Uh, so that's a little bit of a snapshot. Well, yeah, I, what I went through at full scale, and I think a lot of business owners, leaders, CEOs, people in charge um, went through was, you know, March 2020 rolls around. We get a global pandemic, which is something we haven't dealt with. So many of us sent everyone to go work from home and had to immediately create a new culture there, maybe one that we weren't even prepared for or hadn't done in the past. And now here we are in 2023, and a lot of people are calling folks back to the office or still trying to work on that. And there's this middle ground that is developing and it makes you have to shift your company culture again. As far as our company, we stayed remote. It made a lot more sense for us to do that. We were um, well positioned with what we do to be able to do that and have the platform to help support it. But I mean, what, let's start the conversation with like, you know, you talk about shifting a company's culture, like we were forced to do it. So what if you're forced to shift into a culture that you didn't really want to embrace in the first place? How do you either back out of that or work around it or do something with it? So this is where this conversation is so awesome and it's hyper relevant to everybody's listening, right? We are living history right now, Matt. This is the single biggest and fastest shift in how we work and live in human history. So a thousand years from now, people will look back at this moment. So I was 10 years in uh, to running this company and we had hit our numbers for 10 years in a row. We had grown by, like I said, 2000% significantly. We were the number one rated company in our industry in terms of customer experience. And we were one of the top 20 companies in the world on Glassdoor. So think about that. So customers, I mean, employee ratings, one of the top 20 in the world. But then all of a sudden shift happens, right? <laughs> so like you said, things started to move in March 2020, but that led up to January of 2022 during the great resignation, right? And I was 10 years into running this company. Uh, we had already sold this company to a public company. So I stuck around for another seven years, but it was time for a new challenge. And all of a sudden, our ratings on Glassdoor, which is um, employee ratings, typically when they leave a company, uh, started to dip. And Matt, my epiphany was like, if I'm struggling with this, and I've literally been maniacal about this my entire career, creating a place where people love to work and feel accepted and respected. If I'm struggling with this, I think everyone is. So what I did, Matt, is I reached out to YPO, which is the largest association of CEOs in the world. And I said, hey, let's let's team up to do some research on this topic. We interviewed 1,671 CEOs in um, 97 different industries in 47 different countries. And the one thing that they had in common was they were there was a crisis of confidence in company culture. What you were just saying, it wasn't just you, it wasn't just me. It was everybody, everywhere, in every industry, every place in the world had the same problem. When does that ever happen in business history with everybody struggling on the same thing? So it turns out what that inspired me to do was to leave my company and set out on a quest to try to figure out the path forward and do exactly what you were just describing. It's like, what do I do now? 
Um, because you're right, this was all forced upon us. But when anything happens from a business perspective, let's say you're starting up a company, you're a year or two in, what's going to happen? Competitive changes, um, regulatory changes, market changes. Well, this was an enormous change. And what you're supposed to do is pivot when those things happen. And my concept was all about instead of how to bring people back to where things were before, Matt, how do you bring people forward to the future? And that's really what I've created a playbook to do. So, you know, in the year of the quote resignation, which I've actually talked about a lot this year, you know, that was 2022. Now we had a 93% employee retention rate that year. And we were on kind of the opposite end of it. I mean, and it's a, a retention rate that was so high that when I told people about it, some of my peers t- called bullshit. But it's true. And it was. And, you know, for us, I, I think we did a lot of the stuff at full scale that you were mentioning, like, you, you got to have a company, you, you're, the company has to care about the employees, but the employees also have to care about the company and the service they provide or whatever it is that they do. That's, a, in my opinion, that's a, a two way door. And you can't really do one well without the other. But I think that the basis of that starts and, you know, how to, so how does a company care? Um, I think a lot of companies get this wrong. You know, they, they do weird, goofy shit. They want to put an extra ping pong table in the lounge or something like that. And, um, you know, I think the first step in, in showing that your company cares is listening to the voice and the collective opinion of the people in the community that is your company, you know, and, and we've done a lot of that. I do these, uh, you know, town hall a couple times a year, do a town hall type um, meeting. Now we're an all remote company and we had been doing this before the pandemic, but I send out video messages cause they're real easy to communicate with worldwide, but you know, I'll answer all the questions and, and doing stuff like that. Um, you know, cause I'll get the same question like 15 times. Now that might, that tells me that that's on a lot of people's minds. And uh, yeah, I mean, does, does the beginning of change and setting a culture for your company begin with the leaders actually having an open mind about listening to what the people at the company want to achieve as well? A hundred percent, but it really goes beyond that. So what I got wrong and um, what I think a lot of people are now realizing is that working in a company now is not as much about a collective experience as much as an individual experience. So in some ways, we've shifted from a macro to micro. What we found is that there's limits on how much leaders can do. So it doesn't matter if you're living, if you're living in a community, if you are going to school, or if you're working in a company. Your direct experience, Matt, is you and the people around you. So there's only so much that a CEO or even leadership team can do. It's that relationship that someone has with the, their manager and the people around them that really matters the most. And the key is think of a company almost as like a neural network. You're trying to create as many connections as you can and strengthen those connections. So when somebody, let's just talk about isolation because that's been a major issue from a societal perspective. If, if there's one after effect or aftershock that's massive from the pandemic. It's this isolation epidemic. And isolation and depression directly correlate. So how do you solve that? Well, the way that you solve that is by creating connections between people. So in a distributed setting, that's the main game, is how do you create a sense of community and create relationships? There's, yes, putting out video messages and having all hands meetings, pretty, pretty uh, good foundationally. But what data has shown, 
primarily through McKinsey, is that 70% of someone's experience of work is going to be dictated by the relationship with their manager. So in that light, there's one column of things that you can do as a company related to culture. That community part, that's really you, Matt. That's the leadership team. But the relationship part, you know, that's really the that that experience of that person on a daily basis and the people around them. It turns out that if you were to divide those out, the stuff you're doing is 30% effective. The stuff they're doing or experiencing is really 70% of the story. Yeah, we spent a lot of time and effort with employee engagement, especially during the pandemic, because you know, we even created a position for it. It still remains at the company. Um, and just creating things that, um, so, you know, Seth Godin wrote a book called tribes that was out and you're not supposed to use the word tribes anymore. So please don't blast me for that. This is the name of a book, but within that, within what he describes as the tribe or the community, he really puts an emphasis on creating interaction between the people in the community, not just sitting them in a seat and pointing them towards the stage. Meaning there, if you can create a community and an involvement between people in it that are just as interested, if not more interested in their engagement with each other as they are with the feature attraction. Now in the book, uh, right in the beginning of the book, Seth uh, talks about the Grateful Dead uh, as a band and talks about that community. Cause you know, people follow that band all over the world. And if you, and I'm old enough to have actually gone to a Grateful Dead concert very long time ago and half the people there are there for the parking lot. And if they get into the show, great. If they don't, they don't care because they're there to see each other. They want to see their friends, their community. And you see this occur in everything from like a concert parking lot to online forums to inside corporate worlds. And, you know, we did that, like we do a quarterly team bonding event. So we get people out of their house and around each other and doing something fun that's still team oriented. Uh, We have a lot of clubs, um, a lot of, uh, you know, we even do have a company holiday uh, every year where we give everybody a day off to go out and do community outreach. And we set up all the events and all that. So accomplishing a lot of wins and stuff like that. I think another thing too is, as we had a, one of the things that was coming up in the questions was, as you mentioned, getting people moving forward in a direction that they felt was positive. So first off, paying people above market, but more, more so giving opportunity for training or involvement. And that's a challenge at, at, a, at a company like ours because I can't always control what, what technology and tools and stuff like that that our clients use. So, you know, providing additional training and, and just stuff like that, in my opinion, made a really big difference. But um, yeah, that, that engagement's big. And I think that, that, like you said, making sure, and I'm not anyone, I'm, I'm very few people's direct manager at this point, but, all, but I do have spent a lot of time working with the management to try to help them understand when, how, and who needs to be pushed or pulled. And there's a difference with people. Some people need to be pushed and some people need to be pulled and some people don't need either. Those folks in my, are very rare in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. But if, you're, but if you're pulling someone that needs pushing or pushing someone that needs pulled, you're going to probably not get the, react, the, the result you want. Yeah, I'll just say that intuitively you're doing a lot of the things that the data shows correlate to the things that really matter, right? So, you know, in our research and McKinsey's research and Gallup's research, 
if you were to put everything into a blender, Matt, and you were to say, okay, what is the most, what are the things that correlate the most with the three things that leaders care about the most? The three things that leaders care about the most are productivity, are my people productive? Engagement, are they, do they want to work here? Are they working, you know, are they engaged with the work that they're doing? And then retention, like what you just said, 93%, are they staying or leaving, right? So it turns out there's four things that directly correlate to those three things. So if you were just say, like someone's listening to Startup uh, Hustle here, and they're saying, okay, wait, hot, what's this concept of culture? What does it really mean? Listen, strategically, you're trying to drive productivity, engagement, and retention. Great. Okay. And then just psychologically, you're trying to make this the best place someone's ever worked and the best job they've ever had. Okay, great. That's the starting point. So what are, what do we do in order to drive a strategy? You can't be just tactical. It can't just be have an event, do this. It has to be part of a strategic framework. So it turns out the four things that correlate the most, and you're hitting on them are one community. Do I feel a sense of belonging Two, opportunity? Do I feel like I have a future here? Uh, three relationships. Do I have trusting relationships or are they toxic? Right. We all know those toxic relationships. That's what drives us from a job. And then lastly, experiences. What you were just saying, Matt, are you getting tangible experiences that help you grow? So that acronym, Community Opportunity Relationships and Experiences, is core. That's what we used in this book to explain you're trying to get as many people to feel like they're part of the core as possible. And once again, don't approach it from a macro perspective, only things you're doing globally. You have to approach it from an individual experience and get with that person to make sure that they feel um, strongly about all four of those things. Or if not, what are the specific actions or things that you can do with them to drive improvement? Because you know, you and I both know this. I mean, it sounds like you've started a bunch of different companies. I'm guessing you get bored if you're doing the same thing every day, every week, every month, or every year. You know, so it's that constant challenge that we have that a lot of people really view as the most important part of their job. I interviewed, we had 500 people in my last company. I interviewed every single person that ever came into the company. I did an exit interview with everybody who ever left. Thematically, the same things came up, community opportunity relationships and experiences, right? Those are the things that matter the most. And it's not just that the data points that out, it's just common sense, right? And I think we've lost our way when it comes to the common sense of working for a company. People want to feel that pride and purpose in a job, right? And it's our job to ensure that they do. That's the job of leaders. Yeah, I think overall with the way we shape things, like as you mentioned, there's a little bit of all of that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's some of this stuff, you know, you can read a book about it. You can listen to a podcast. You can listen to an audio book about it. You can talk to your friends. But until you see examples of it in real life, you don't necessarily understand the power of some of the stuff. But in, in my particular case, when it came to creating a lot of the clubs and the communities, there was a guy that uh, in the Philippines that I had been trying to hire for months. And I ended up just giving this guy a huge offer and he turned it down still. And finally, I was just like, what is going on? Because we're like a really, really, there's a lot of hype and buzz around our company, right? I couldn't get this guy to come across the street, even though a bunch of people he knew worked over there. And as it turned out, he just didn't want to quit the company because he had been on the company basketball team for like 10 years with his friends. And he took a lot, he just real, that was a big thing for him. Um, so I said, what if we started a basketball team? Now, I, knew, I still right. didn't hire, I still couldn't hire him. He still turned me down. But I, I was like, 
man, if that's one of the things that's going to give someone a reason to stick around for 10 years, let's start more of that stuff. So we have a basketball team. We have a badminton team. We have a music club, a mountaineering. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them because these things aren't really that expensive to own and operate. We created a budget for them. And if that's what makes people happy, if that's what makes people want to stay, like all the things I just mentioned were also things that are like active and some, well, maybe not the music club, unless you're well, an answer. But also what you're hitting on is that people don't relate based on things that work. They relate, relate yeah. on things that are in, that they have in common. <clears throat> so the company I started in common. So think of the holy shift is the mindset. Here are things that you can do to create shift in your company, right? Here's the game plan. Here are the plays that you can run. You can check them off one by one. With that said, you also need a tool set. So we created a platform that does what you just described. Uh, So we, in 60 seconds, can figure out what people have in common with each other. And then we can form communities based on those things. So if I profile you and I understand that, Matt, you like hiking, you have kids, uh, you're into music, you know, let's just take 15 things. Then I can show you immediately, okay, here's 200 other people at your company that you have at least five things in common with, I can introduce you to all 500 or 200 of those people. Then I can bring you into communities uh, like you just described, a basketball community, right? A hiking community, a dog, a community of dog owners, right? Uh, A uh, working parents group. Um, All those things can then happen organically in terms of how we bring people together. But the things that you're already doing, Matt, those would fall into a playbook that other people should do because that really is you know, how you bring people together. It's not just based on your vision, mission, and values of your company. <laughs> it's based on the personal connection that people feel from each other. So like when someone leaves a company, what are they leaving? They're leaving the people. It's very easy to leave a company where you have no connections, obviously, right? If you were, live in a community where you've met nobody, very easy to leave. If you went to a school uh, where you didn't make any friends, Pretty easy to transition from that. If you work at a company where you don't feel that sense of connection with other people, you can leave tomorrow and you'll be leaving nothing behind. It's that those are like, if you were to look at like the three most important words in real estate, people say like location, location, location. You know, I'm now in my mid fifties. I say this to leaders all the time. If you were to give advice to people, your kids who are now coming out of college like mine, what would you say are the three most important things? relationships, 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 you know? And so we I'd need say passion, be, passion, passion, actually, ties which to might it. be part of it. But like for us, one of the main things is we put a really, so, and, and keep in mind all businesses, for those of you listening, all businesses are different. You got to find the, the thing that links people to what they want. Now, you know, we employ hundreds of software developers and this seems like a pretty good time to, remind everyone that finding expert software developers doesn't need to be difficult, especially when you go to fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use Fullscale's platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to fullscale.io to uh, learn more. There's a link in the show notes for that. There's also a link to InCommon who does a similar thing. They ask you a couple questions. They ask a bunch of people even more questions and then match people up with the things that make sense. But, you know, one of the, I think one of the things that, I mean, the community and the outreach and the caring and and that stuff was all a crucial part, but I, I, I put a big, 
a big emphasis on us trying to match up. So you look at our company, we've, we hire someone and they are our employee, but then that employee needs to become a member of someone else's team. They have to go embrace another company's culture. They have to do the tasks that they provide. That is so much easier to get up and do and feel good about every single day if it's something that you're passionate about doing. So if you can match people up, um, just because someone's good at something also doesn't mean that they like doing it. It doesn't mean that they're passionate about it. Honestly, I'm good at a lot of shit that I don't like doing. And guess what? I don't do it well for that reason. Now, if you get people around things they're passionate about, showing up to, I mean, work, it doesn't feel as much like work. And it, and it also feels like you're moving forward. It feels like, hey, I'm really doing something. So I think when people go to, to potentially leave one organization and go to another, um, that comes into mind because it's an unknown about what they're going to have to deal with or what they're going to work with. Am I going to get to do the stuff I like doing? I want to do the stuff I feel that moves my career forward? Um, and am I getting the right kind of experience? Now, all that can fall for us can fall under that passion. Now, what we find is if, and, and we figured this out really early, but if we put someone that isn't passionate, so we just ask in the interview, you know, what are the, what do you really, what are you most passionate about when it comes to software development? What do you like doing the most? What do you like doing the least? And when we're creating this pairing, if what you like doing the least is a major part of that other, of the job, you're not a good match for it. Now, look, let's be adults here and also clarify that sometimes at work, you have to do things you don't like. You just don't want to have to do them 90% of your debt. So I, mean, I think that that and the relationships are, are, are great, too. But I think if you if you remove the passion, you remove a lot of the result. Yeah, I think, you know, we call it playing with purpose, right? Sure. Um, so to some extent, passions can be transient. Like what I, the music I like today may not be the music I like tomorrow. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. You know, I might have this hobby today and maybe a different one tomorrow. But like what you're saying, like if I really, my purpose is, let's say as a software developer, I really want to grow. That's, and I, or I really want to build something that matters, or I really want to help a customer solve a problem. That runs a little bit deeper. And maybe they're willing to put up with something, like you said, that they may not be passionate about at the moment um, because it's part of the greater purpose in terms of what they're trying to, how they're trying to grow or develop or contribute, you know, in some form or fashion. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we, it's, it, I always see these, these payroll battles that occur too. And I will tell you that there's a whole group of people out there that are more concerned about working with technology and things that they like and that they're interested in, as opposed to getting a higher paycheck and trading that off. So it's not always about, it's not always about dollars or. Oh, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, like I said, I was running yeah. a pretty large software company and we re-platformed our entire application. We, we're going to have to do it anyways, right? Um, but we accelerated that because we had a hard time recruiting developers who wanted to work on what was versus what what, what will be. Uh, yeah. So that's a company that a lot of legacy that's a that's a challenge that a lot of legacy software companies run into, as you know, and it becomes a pretty hard to recruit people for that. And then so therefore, maybe sometimes they outsource some of that work, you know, uh, to organizations like yours. And then those might be projects that some people find from a development perspective somewhat unappealing you know, in terms of the work they're doing so that 
that beat goes on, but that's where that, you know, in core, that's where that experience part comes into play. Are you doing hackathons? Are you giving them other experiences that are really helping them grow? If you can feed that and give them a portfolio of things that they're doing, you know, I always say it's like um, your career is like one big jar and, you know, every experience doesn't matter if it's a bad experience, actually, sometimes bad experiences are, are actually much more helpful in terms of your growth. But every experience you get, you put another marble in that jar. And the key is to, is to fill that jar as much as you possibly can. So really, you should be an experience junkie, <laughs> you know, if you want to grow in your career. Now, the great thing about working for uh, an organization like yours is you get to work with different clients. You get to have these different projects that you're working on. And as long as that portfolio comes together into something that's meaningful, you know, that actually can be a really appealing job as opposed to somebody going just to work for one company and all they're going to be working on is that stack. Well, that's a key ingredient for us too, is, you know, uh, it's, it's, it kind of throws people off sometimes when we get on a first call with them and they realize that we're interviewing them as much as they are us. And we have fired clients for creating a shitty work environment for our employees. And, um, we have told a bunch of people, no, it just doesn't seem like a good fit. And sometimes it's like related to the kind of tasks that they need done. I mean, I, I have said this following phrase a bunch. I don't know if there's anyone in our company that's really going to enjoy working on that. Uh, which means I don't want to sign you up as a client because that lack of passion isn't going to exist. You're probably going to have people churning off your account. And then, you know, one of the things that we're doing when we recruit people and part of how we get the best people is that, you know, top pay, top equipment, top projects. And, you know, like I said, people want to, I don't know, your day goes by a lot faster when you're not doing mind numbing stuff. So yeah, definitely. There's definitely a mix. I don't think there's a silver bullet that solves all of this. It's like a, it's a whole array of different things that need to exist and keep happening. Yeah, but to, to back up your point, so we just did research uh, with people in every corner of the country, right? So these are not leaders like the last set of research I was telling you about, but this is people working in companies. The number of people who want to get out of bed or are excited to get out of bed and go to work in the morning right now, nationally, is one out of every 10. So when you talk about- I'm surprised it's even that high. Well, so then it's surprise, right? So just think about what you just said. You're surprised it's even that high, but in your company, I, I, I bet you would argue it's 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10. So if you think about that, you know, we have this real challenge here regarding how we work. It, it, it is such an enormous shift, you know, in terms of how we think that we've got to think different. That's the key. We've got to think different and try different things. But a lot of it comes down to the concepts that you're talking about is each individual person, like you said, when you interview them, you're trying to tease something out. I told you I interviewed every single person. I never weighed in on any of them unless they were reporting to me. None. I didn't weigh on any of them. I just want to get on with them for 20 minutes on the phone. It was never on Zoom. It was just so they could feel a connection to me. Our our um, acceptance rate because of that and other things we were doing was roughly 94, 95%. But the only question I asked, I only asked one question like that was preconceived. Uh, I would ask other questions just to go with the flow. But one question, what questions do you have for me? Because all I was trying to tease out was, do they really want this job or a job? If they really want this job, 
like you just said, I'm going to go back to your word. I'm going to use your word, passion. They are excited. They're going to come and play with a sense of purpose. Um, they're going to grow. They're going to contribute. It's going to make a difference. If they're like, I'm interviewing with three people um, or three different companies. I have offers. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. No, no questions. I think everyone's answered every question for me. Well, if you're not curious and you have the chance to talk to the CEO, you know, about the context of the company, maybe this isn't the right place for you, you know? And so that's where I knew I, I didn't, once again, I didn't weigh in, but I was not surprised at all if they were gone a year later. Yeah. I think one of the things, so, you know, when I first started going over to the Philippines, or well, let me back up for a second. So we had a hundred employees after a year. That's a pretty fast path, right? Especially for a bootstrap company. We didn't come in with like a huge war chest of, of funds or anything like that. And I would go over to the, our office in the Philippines. And this is when everyone would still come to the office every day. And I would spend the majority of my day, like the other leaders wanted to make meetings with me and stuff like that. I said, let's do that in between shifts or before people get here. And I said, cause when I'm here, I want to talk to the people that work at the company. And you mentioned like getting feedback and when you get feedback, if you want to get good feedback, you got to do it in a way that people that give the feedback can potentially be anonymous and really like say what they say. So like after I'd go and visit and I'd be there for, you know, a week or two and I would go around and I would talk to everyone and I would just sit down and hang out with them for a few minutes. And then, the, oh my God, the overwhelming feedback I would get after I left was, people saying things like, I can't believe the CEO came around and talked to us for as long as he did and as much as he did and all that. And it really made us feel really good. And my first thought was and comment was, where have you been working? You know, like, like, I mean, I should be the most accessible person if possible. Now that doesn't mean for every single thing you need, like you shouldn't need to go get CEO approval to buy postage stamps. But with that, you know, like I think that, you know, I look at that and that, and that in my opinion had a lot to do. Okay. So here, here we go from that to a year later, you know, a global pandemic breaks out and this is where you're established. This is the times these are the times that you want to be able to make a withdrawal from the social capital that you have accumulated within your, the community that you lead. And, and I did that. I had to do that, but I stood, I stood in front of our company and I happened to be in the Philippines when the pandemic was breaking out. I actually extended my trip. I could have left on the jet plane on March 20th, which if you don't remember the dates that they had just canceled the NCAA basketball tournament three days <laughs> prior. It was getting real. And I, and I stayed and I remember, cause I had to speak to our company that night, which looking back at it was kind of wild because the pandemic's just getting started. And I stood in front of everyone. I said, I have never been through a pandemic. I have never dealt with this before. Neither have you, neither has anyone else. There's not an expert we can bring in in this matter. I just need all of you to know that no matter what we are going to make decisions that protect you and your family. We're not going to put you in any bad situations, but a lot of those decisions are going to have to be made as we progress through this together. And for a person giving a very loose answer to what, how are we going to handle this? That went over really well. Cause I, yeah. cause it was just honest. 
It was just like, it was open. And I said, I don't know, but we will figure this out and we'll figure it out together. And, and we did. And we yeah. Did. Well, you know, you know so, so let's go back to your walk around it in the Philippines. Um, you know, there's a Teddy Roosevelt quote, I actually have it in the book. I just pulled it up. Uh, people don't know how, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. So what leaders, the mistake they make is getting up and saying, here's a vision, mission, values. Here's the great things I've done. You should be impressed. You're lucky to work here. Right. And so the, the well, I'm flip, lucky they work here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's how, and the pendulum has swung, right? So during the great resignation, it was like, you're lucky to have me. That's how employees felt. And now, you know, that we've gone through the last six months where a lot of layoffs have happened, people are like, you're lucky to have a job. But the pendulum always swings back and forth. But the uh, March 2020 uh, meeting I had with our all hands, when we told everyone they were going to go remote, it's going to be a long time. We were a healthcare company, so we at least had some kind of a healthcare data company, one of the largest healthcare data companies in the world. So we had good sense that this was going to be a long trail. Um, but the quote I put up is, in times of chaos, confusion, and conflict, characters reveal leaders emerge. So this was an opportunity, right? And I think this moment is the same thing, right? So one of the things that it is, I researched past pandemics, the bubonic plague in the 1300s, the Spanish flu in the 1900s. Turns out both created labor movements. During the bubonic plague it was the first labor movement because one of every two people in Europe died. So you had, you know, a fight, you know, to get people to move to a different job, uh, which they never did. They stayed on the same land of the Lord for generations. Um, so this was a big change. They got an average rate of about 300%. During the Spanish flu, it was about 200% because one of every 50 people in the world died. So you have the same kind of challenges coming off World War One. And now, you know, we have, you know, kind of the realization that, you know, in order to drive change in any business or within any company, you need a catalyst, right? You need a burning platform. Well, this is it. You know, like we've had this enormous change in, in what, what's happening is that leaders are fighting against it instead of leveraging the flow of it. And uh, that's really what the book is about. That's what all my work is about. It's how to take this moment and really create momentum with it. Yeah. And sometimes you need to surrender to the flow because the flow is more powerful than you. If you have ever tried to walk upstream against any kind of current uh, you you get that. So, um, yeah, I don't know how those fish swim upstream just to go lay eggs. It seems a little <laughs> It seems like it's really difficult. But what isn't difficult is hiring software engineers, testers, <clears throat> and leaders at your company. Full Scale can help with that. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, and our platform will match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you go to FullScale.io. There's a link for that in the show notes. Once again, with me today is Dan Michelson, and Dan's the founder and CEO at InCommon. You can go to InCommon.com, and there's a link for that in the show notes, too. Well, Dan, you know, we, this, we cruised right through this episode, and it's time for the Founders Freestyle, where I give any founder that's on the show with me a chance to take the microphone and say whatever they want before I'm going to do the same. So here you go, sir. What would you like to say to all of the hustlers out there? <laughs> uh, well, I guess, you know, here, here's what I, I would say. Um, 
Work is actually a very simple concept, right? And when we feel good about it, um, it affects our personal life. And when we feel good personally, it affects our work life. You know, we don't have a work life and a personal life. We have one life, right? And so we've kind of shifted from this approach of, you know, what I call workflow, you know, everything revolves around work to life flow. Everything is flowing together. So I think as a leader or as a, you know, creator of a company, you have an amazing opportunity to put your fingerprints on something really important. But the most important part will be the relationships that you build with the people who are on your team and the ability to affect their lives. So I would say in my career, which is now over 30 years, the thing I look back and I feel the best about is the impact I've had on helping other people grow around me. And I think if you do that, you know, that's what helps your company grow <laughs> ultimately. So I would just say get hyper-personal, uh, be super practical, right? Because, um, you know, uh, you're running a business, but at the end of the day, that's run for the most part by people uh, and their contributions aren't, as some people say, like, hey, some people say our people are most important assets. Nope. If you're using the word assets and talking about people, uh, you're missing the point. Uh, but if you want to build a great company in something that's truly built to last, it's going to be because of the team and the people around you. Um, so in my experience, that's what I would share. Um, that's why I wrote the book, Holy Shift. Uh, and that's why I created the company uh, in common. Yeah, I th you know, I think when I look back at today's conversation, there's a few things that stand out. And, you know, part of this is like, let me remind everyone, don't be the out of touch leader. You know, like I, it drives me nuts when I see the division that exists in big companies between lead, quote leadership and the people that work at the company. You're, you have a dip as a CEO or founder or whatever it is that you do, you just have a different job than everyone else. It's, it's, it, you might think it's more important, but in my company, the most important thing is the people that show up and work for our clients every day. And without them, I'm just a dude looking for something to do. So, you know, you got to have a, you got to have a, a realization. You got to expect that. I think when it comes to creating company culture, it's not about more ping pong tables in the, in the break room, find out what your people want to participate in. That's going to be different in every kind of company. Like in the Philippines, they love karaoke and oh my God, I've had great times going to sing karaoke. I do have the voice of an angel, so that helps, but <laughs> I really don't. You know, they have these things at the karaoke things in the Philippines that give you a score and they like judge your pitch and everything. Yeah, I'm not going to share my score, but it's not great. But, you know, the thing is, is get out there and, and form relationships with the people that work with you and for you. It's a great way for them to also understand what you want as a leader and as, as a company owner. And if, and then the last thing is, is, I mean, this is just a simple principle in life. If you help other people get what they want, you just kind of magically find that you get what you want. Now you, that whole pay it forward mentality of like, help them get it first. Like you, know, you have to create value in any situation or any relationship before you can make a withdrawal, or at least you should. A lot of people show up and want to make withdrawals without making any deposits. I live my life on that opposite end of the spectrum. Like I've got a hundreds and hundreds long list of people that I've never called it into, right? Because I want to provide value. I want to do something 
I want to show that you can, you can add something positive or valuable to the community of people you're around. If you can do those things, I think you're going to find that you end up with a culture that makes sense. If you get a chance, check out Holy Shift, moving your company forward to the future of work. But with that, Dan, we're out of time. So I'm going to catch up with you down the road and let you know if uh, any of this any of this company shifting culture is uh, still working or needs help down the road. I'll see you later. Sounds good. See you down the road. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.